The world is old and the powers are weary. The god at the door of night has fallen and the great enemy of the world has come back from the timeless void. The shadow has awakened the great evils to regain dominion over Ardar. Darkness shall cover the land if not for the deeds of a small fellowship of elf friends. Join the players of this Dungeons and Dragons campaign as they fulfill the events of the Dagor Daggeron prophecy and strive with Morgoth on the plains of Valinor. Welcome to the Undying Lands in Part 3 of the Inglorian Bastards Trilogy, Trials of the Valar. All right, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the Long-Winded One podcast. Um, I, I'm very excited uh, for this series of interviews that I'm about to do. Um, and they're kind of interviews and kind of virtual tours. Um, I had a, I had a trip planned uh, to England in March. And um, as everyone knows, uh, March was a bad time to be traveling in the world. Um, and I had to cancel my trip because of the, um, the whole coronavirus COVID-19 um, pandemic. Um, and I had, I had these, these wonderful tours lined up in Oxford and Birmingham and several other uh, places. And um, these wonderful tour guides who were going to show me around these places and um and talk to me a little bit about these areas that were important to tolkien and um when i had to cancel my trip um i i reached out to everybody and they were they were just so great um and this person that i have with me tonight she's been fantastic her name is mary moore and um she she runs birmingham tours and um, she is, she's actually, she gives tours of many different locations. Um, what she told me was called the West Midlands. Um, so Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. And um, if it's okay with you, we'll, we'll go right to the Tolkien sites um, and start talking about them. I, I know just from emailing back and forth with you that um, you have a lot to tell us tonight. Um, and we have uh, three or four um, uh, sort of core Tolkien locations to talk about. But afterwards, if it's all right with you, I'd like to find out more about you and, and about your, your tour company, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. And uh, just for the listeners, um, I, I wanted everyone to know that um, before the podcast started, Mary and I talked about all the pronunciations because um, as I found out um, probably in the early 2000s when I came over to visit Wales, English is not pronounced the same on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, and uh, I, I was uh, heading up into Med Wales and um, ended up, you know, I needed a, I needed a train ticket um, uh, to Brecon. And, and it doesn't go direct to Brecon, but I had to stop in Abagavani, and uh, and I didn't pronounce it correctly. I, I I'm, here I am at Paddington Station when it first opens in the morning. A line is forming behind me, and I'm telling the guy I need a ticket to Abergavney. He just looked at me like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> so I I double checked all the pronunciations before we got started here, so I didn't butcher anything. Um, but Mary, the first place I'd like to start, um, and um, and you can kind of see it here on the uh, the, the Google Earth overview, is a place called Serhole Mill. But here here we have this first picture of the mill itself. Um, I thought maybe you'd like to give just a little information about this place. 
Yes, of course. Well, Sehol Mill, we're very lucky to be able to um, keep some of these old buildings and they're run as museums. But these would um, have been dotted all around the countryside uh, because this was the way that um, if any, because it's in an agricultural area and was, people, the farms would bring all their corn uh, to the mill to be ground and turned into flour. And this is how the people used to survive locally. Those, the farmers that had larger um, sort of farms, they would be selling it on, of course. But you always had a, a, a water mill like this that would have ground your, uh, the wheat into flour. And also, um, during the same period of time, when the, um, the big flour mills were sort of at the, the ports, because when all the flour or the corn was coming in to the UK, it needed quickly to be turned into flour and the big uh, mills and the, at the coast would be taking all the main business. So in the centre of England, where we are, and all around the, the country, the smaller mills would be run by the local uh, millers and they would be doing as much as they could, turning out flour to sell. And also they'd be grinding bones and for fertiliser and any other thing that the, the farmers used to bring along that could be turned into uh, food for the, the animals. This building is, is just is beautiful. And I remember seeing pictures of it um, before I sort of did the Google Earth flyover. And it's, it's, it's like shocking um, when you do the flyover at how everything's sort of built up around it. When you, when you first look at these pictures, you don't, you know, you expect like, oh, maybe there's some country or some trees around it, but it's just like, it's in the middle of, of houses, right? Yes, it is now, yeah. Well, let's talk about, um, so Tolkien lived there um, right around, I think, 1896 to 1901. Um, he was, I, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think this is right. So he lived there uh, between the ages of four and eight. Um, and so can you, can you tell us, was the mill still active around that time? Yes, it would have been. In fact, it was active. Um, the miller's son took it over when his father died, and it was, it was still in operation in the 1950s, but it was doing the other things as well. It became a florist and, you know, selling all sort of local produce. But um, then later on, in the 1960s, uh, the mill and the land came up for sale, or the mill came up for sale. And there was a big um, subscription, um, sort of people, were, they were trying to get money to buy the mill. Uh, this is Birmingham City Council, sorry. And they were trying to get the money to buy the mill and Tolkien himself uh, contributed towards it. And they managed to buy the mill as it is now. And then the council turned it over into a working um, mill again. And oh, it's wow. opened as a museum, which is great. And they, they do now uh, do the... Uh, grinding the uh, and producing flour and they sell it uh, quite regularly but at the moment of course everything's closed sure well um, so i mean so this must have been important to tolkien uh, so much so in fact that um I, th I think it is rumored or he he said as much that that he based the mill in hobbiton on sarahole mill, uh, mill is that is that right Yes, I, I would say that that's correct. You see, the boys lived across the road um, from the mill. And when you, you look at the, um, the view that you've got from the air, you can see that there's water in front of the mill. And then there's, there's sort of trees to the left-hand side of the picture. You see all this green? That's yeah. water. 
with algae in it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not being used or cleared at the moment. So you can see the trees all the way around that water. Well, the boys would have lived to the left-hand side, just off the picture, and those trees would not have been there. It would have been an open site. So they would have seen from the cottages, there were three houses or three double uh, houses, six houses, but cottages. And the boys lived opposite. Um, so they would have had a clear view of the mill whenever they looked out the window or came out of their house. And the rest of the, the land here, you can see above, where you can see the mill in the center of the picture, and all the land above that, that was all part of the, um, what was bought under the subscription when uh, Tolkien, uh, you know, and the local people all put money towards keeping all this land because they didn't want houses to be built. You see all these on the left-hand side? Yes, yeah, those are the ones I was referring to, yeah. Those are all new, fairly new housing. So when you go to the mill, you, you go in, this is the car park, people use it every day because they go along the walkways. You can see the pathway above um, the trees here. Yeah. And this takes you for miles along the mill stream way and back again this side. And this takes you into most, well, it takes you into parts of the Mosley bog. Oh, um, fantastic. It's all an area of scientific uh, in, sort of interest. Mm -hmm. um, but because it's always, you, you, you get the name Mosley Bog, it's going to be wet and wet underfoot. So they couldn't really build on it. So it's a most fantastic place. In fact, part of it goes back to medieval times and before, um, because you've just got the pathways and where people would have, uh, farming would have been carried out. But people use it for cycling and walking now. Um, mm -hmm. So it's very much a, a leisure area for you know and then taking your dog for a walk and going for a you know going out for a half a day half, maybe a day just going along the mill stream way it's it's wonderful and you could that's a beautiful picture that you've got there with the uh, the reflection in the water as well yeah, so if you imagine you've been an eight-year-old child and perhaps younger and that's what you saw when you came out of your front door it would certainly uh, be formative wouldn't it well, you would want to go and have a look at it, wouldn't you? And because all these trees weren't here, you see, the boys had, they weren't supposed to go in it, but they, because the mill was active at the time, grinding flour, and it was pretty dangerous. Um, you know, you get the feeling that the, the miller was pretty um, uh, annoying to, to chase the boys off. But, of course, he was doing that because... Um, once the mill and, and everything was working and grinding, there was no way of stopping things immediately. Sure. So it was a place of danger as well. But and because they were grinding corn, they were grinding bones for fertilizer, they were filled, they were covered in powder or, or, <laughs> or flour. And that's where when they were covered in the white, they that was the, you know, they were called ogres, the, the Tolkien boys. <laughs> the uh, the names you see the nicknames sure um, sure but that would have been an everyday occurrence with them going over there because they would go they would be drawn to that water as well without a doubt oh wow well so i have a question about um the, the area itself now this is called serhole mill now is, yeah. is 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 this area still called serhole is it like a neighborhood from from everything that i've read birmingham started small and and kind of grew and overtook the surrounding communities is that accurate yes that's right it was because it started off um obviously in the city center that we have today 
And when you, your towns or your villages were even coming up throughout history, it was usually where there was water and where there was an access to it, you know, maybe a, one of the old Roman roads or something like that for the traders. Mm -hmm. um, so Birmingham was built up and Birmingham is built on a hill or many hills. And so it started at the river and grew up the hill and then it started to expand all the way around, if you can imagine that. Mm -hmm. And because it was already in place, the uh, the church, the main church and the, the market square was in place and everything was growing just sort of the, you know, the periphery would be just sort of expanding all of the time. Mm -hmm. So this sayhole hole would have been um, in the, well, when uh, Tolkien lived there, it would have been very rural. And in fact, they, they didn't have any gas or electricity there for lighting. So at night, well, in the houses, they would have to use um, candles or gas lighting or oil lamps. Um, street lighting didn't exist at all. So it was very much in the dark there. Uh, so you, you didn't go anywhere at nighttime unless you, you know, you sort of had a, had a purpose to go out. Sure, sure. It was very rural. And so, so is this area, you know, kind of still called Sarehole, but more like a neighborhood of, of Birmingham? It, yeah, it, it's what you'd call a suburb. Suburb, okay. Sarehole is the area within Hall Green. Hall Green is the main suburb, the name of the suburb. Okay. And Sarehole is in the centre of that. And, you know, Sarehole is obviously prominent because of the mill and the history behind it as well. Well, you mentioned um, a little bit earlier, you mentioned um, the walking path that led to Mosley Bog. Um, and I was wondering if we could transition to that now. Does that sound good? Yes, of course. Um, I mean, I came across all of this well, many years ago um, when my grandchildren were much younger and I was seeing it through, you know, through their eyes sort of thing. My grandchildren were, they were watching the the videos and learning all about it and it, it was from them that I got the names you see and I thought well it's close by so I'll go and I'll um, I'll do some research in it sure. and we went to um, down found the house it, it's amazing how quickly you find everywhere that you want to do with the mill and, and the, the boys because 264 um, number 264 we went to the house and it's sitting proud, the three uh, lots of houses are sitting proud on the main road now. And my grandchildren were thrilled to bits because they opened the garden gate and said, oh, we're standing where Tolkien would have stood. Oh, now we're coming out of his gate. Can we go and run and touch his front door? That sort of thing, you know, the ah. way children get excited about it. And I thought there's really got to be a lot in this. And I really need to, you know, sort of concentrate on this a bit. So we went around the back of the house and if we, if you can take it, can you take it back over to our right-hand side before you get to Mosley Bog? Absolutely. Um, see, we're, this is the, the algae and the water. Their house is just here. That's how close they would have been. The boys wouldn't have had this tree, these trees. They would have been coming out of a cottage there, and sure. there was only three sets of two houses. Nothing else other than a house that had been built that's in among these, or this one here, in among these trees. Nothing wow. else, everything else would have been agriculture. So when you come away from the Tolkien's front door, if you like, and you come down this way and you turn right, you have to go now into this new estate. Well, going by the stories, 
this is where um, Tolkien would have been chased off by the farmer. You know, it says oh, yeah. some of the stories that um, the farmer used to chase them. Um, is that Farmer Maggot? Yeah. yeah, and that's where they got the, the, the because they he decided to keep that in because they were terrified. And there was also a part, or wasn't the um, where uh, one of the um, the hobbits they were um, they said that they'd they were going to be fed to the dogs. Yeah, Farmer Maggot. That's the yeah yeah. <laughs> that's the same one. Well, you see, they would have. I mean, they'd only been about five and six years of age, but and possibly even a year younger. But they used to go through that area because that was all fields and they would be going through where the, the mushrooms were being grown. The, the, if they went, because there's little pools everywhere and streams, the whole place, that's where, you know, the whole area is underwater almost. Mm -hmm. um, so streams everywhere. So they'd be paddling all the time in the brooks. And of course, the farmer ran away with or took away his shoes one day. Yeah. And so he had to go, you know, it's like when you're that age and you have to go and own up to say that you've been on uh, coming on somebody's land. You've got to ask for your shoes. So this is where they would have been chased off many times um, going through that. Even if it was only the farmer trying to scare them off, not necessarily to do anything, but just to scare them off um, to get away from the mushrooms, I suppose. And then you would continue on and we would, if you, if you were here now, we would be going up, um, if we can sort of skim over to the left now, we would just be going over as far as here, this bit here, because yep. this is the beginning of it. So the boys would have walked across that, which would have all been fields, covered in trees like this, as it is now. And then you 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 go up, you walk up a wooden, um, a muddy slope now, and that's where um, you go into Mosley Bog because Mosley Bog, it's the whole thing. There are streams all the way through it, and the photograph that you you showed me with all the um, duck boards, you know, walking boards. Sure, yeah, we'll they come were to that. put in when um, the whole area was becoming very popular, because this, yes, this exactly right. You see, people wanted to come and see Mosley Bog. It, it took on a life of its own once the films were out and people were paying more attention to the books. Everybody wanted to come and see. And so the, look, luckily, the, the local council put these walking boards because it keeps you above the mud. Otherwise, you, you, on a bad day, you can be up to your ankles in mud and <laughs> get very far. But it was also, of course, of uh, people with wheelchairs. So it's made it wheelchair friendly as well. Well, I, I'm really glad you gave us that background um, because in the fellowship, right? The first book of the Lord of the Rings, it, it is, you know, they, they meet Farmer Maggot on the way to the old forest. And Mosley Bog is the inspiration for the old forest where yes. old, Ma old man Willow and Tom Bombadil and Goldberry live. And you can see from these pictures, you know, how you know the, these these trees they they look lifelike yes in the tree so yes. so can you describe being in the bog now is is this well, um it it's the most amazing feeling again because i was new to the books and, and i hadn't seen the film at that stage and um, with two young grandchildren and I, we were walking around and and it is it's just going back into a, a almost you know a very, very medieval forest almost, an ancient forest, because they've got these walkways all the way through, quite rightly, because people use them 
to get from one end to the other and walk their dogs and everything. But it hasn't lost its um, eerie feeling. And I can remember standing, we went down into a, a quite a dip and it might have been just near the, the other photograph, the previous photograph of mm -hmm. the Mosley Bog. And there was a, a small sort of um, a pool by the side of it. And then we walked around the side and then we walked down into a dip. But the trees are enormous, <sighs> absolutely enormous. If you can imagine a five or six year old standing there as well, how tall those trees would be. And I said to my granddaughter, and I said, what is it about this um, part of it, Olivia? I said, there's something about orcs. This is, you know, this is, I was a novice. I said, there's something about orcs. I said, they're trees, aren't they? <laughs> and listen to those balls, listen to those birds. I said, what a racket. She says, Nan, she said, that's exactly the sound of the orcs make when they're talking on the film. Ah. Uh. She says, wow. Third croaking. Man, now you're making me wish I really was there. <laughs> it, it is so, so, uh, well, atmospheric. Yeah. And you want to go on and on and, you know, go through the whole thing. But when you're looking at, you know, all the other places associated with Tolkien, there isn't always time. But it's, it gives you a great taste for it. And it's just the most amazing place. Well, place. I, I don't know how into uh, flora and fauna you are, but um, do, do you know trees at all? It, it, I mean, so the old forest, the character that you remember most from from the old forest is Old Man Willow, other than Tom Bombadil, of course. Um, yeah. are, are there willow trees here? Would, would that have been would that have been a direct inspiration from Mosley Bog or, 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 or do you know if willow trees are, are sort of in this area? Yeah, well, willow trees would be wherever there is water. And funnily enough, if you look back at the mill, as you're, we're looking at it, on, on its left-hand side, there is a willow tree or the remains of a willow tree, I understand, because, around about here. And it keeps on coming up. They keep on having to cut it back. <laughs> so whether, um, I mean, I don't know whether you can see it there or not, but that's what um, what you'll see around there. So yeah, anywhere where there's water, you'll find a willow. Hmm. Interesting. So, so I guess, yeah, there'd be lots of willow trees in a bog. <laughs> there would be loads of them, yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's, let's um, if it's okay with you, we'll transition now to um, ask about Tolkien's schooling. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna advance the sort of Google Earth flyover. Now this this is interesting. So so he went um twice he went to the King Edward school. He he went there um in 1900 um and then they pulled him out and sent him back again in 1903. However, um the site that I'm taking you to now is um is not the site uh and correct me if I'm wrong that is not the site of the original King Edward school. No. No, they, he went to, first of all, back in Sarehole, um, the, the, the mother, Mabel, decided that she was going to, well, lack of money, and because where they were in Sarehole, they couldn't get anywhere. So she was going to educate the boys at home. And it was she, actually, that passed on, she, she was teaching him German. But he got the, um, the love of languages from his mother. And she educated him to a, a stage where she couldn't do it any longer. He had to go to school. You see, the laws step in in England and children have to be educated properly. 
there is a, an opt-out now, but I won't go into that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but she, I think, would have wanted him also to be mixing with other scholars and not be, you know, running around wild in the country uh, for any longer than was necessary. So he was, and he was obviously very bright because he passed a scholarship to get into King Edwards, and that was the entrance. That was the only way you could enter King Edwards was by taking the scholarship and passing. Mm -hmm. So he was obviously a bright boy. Um, but the problem was, because they were living in Sayre Hall, it was nowhere near uh, transport for him to get into Birmingham city centre. So they had to move um, out of Sayre Hall and move to a place called uh, Moseley, Moseley Village, mm -hmm. which is probably only about seven minutes drive in the car but it would have been too far for a young boy to be walking to get a tram to go into Birmingham. So he went to the first time into um, New Street, into the King Edwards, the old King Edwards. You, you've got the picture of it up there. Yeah. Um, and that was formed in 1552. Do you want a, a little bit of history about that? I would love that, yes. Well, it was founded by, you see, in, in England, everything that was um, governed, uh, if you like, uh, locally was run by the guilds. And the guilds, you, they were like unions, really, I suppose, early unions, because they would, if you were, um, say, a carpenter or a stonemason or a butcher or anything at all, any trade, and you'd served your apprenticeship, the guild would be sort of overseeing that and they would make sure you did your seven years or whatever. But they'd also make sure that there was nobody else coming in, taking work and that sort of thing. They would be in charge of all of that. And the Guild of the Holy Cross in Birmingham was also in charge of education, which was a big thing, um, even going back to the 1500s. So in 1552, uh, the Royal Charter of King Edward VI was um, uh, it formed. And it was the first school was before that one even on the same site, but the Guild Hall which would have been like, um, if ever you've seen a medieval uh, film, and it'd be like a, a guild, like a, a hall, where yep. dinners and all that sort of thing and special invitations, were, were, you'd get in there. Mm -hmm. So the guild, that's where the, the school would have been. And I think there was only about, um, I think they were educating only about 20 children there. But then when they started to, the uh, the the act came in or the charter was imposed, then it became more popular. And then there was about six, 70 boys were being educated there. And by the 1680s, because it had got this charter, um, there were close to 200 boys in that building that you're looking at now. Mm -hmm. So that was a bit of overcrowding as well. So in 1731, they decided that the school should be pulled down. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't fit for purpose, really, and it needed to be rebuilt. But not moving very quickly, in 1835, they had a new headmaster, and he arrived, and he had a new building erected on the same site in what we call a Gothic revival, um, similar styles to, say, for instance, our Houses of Parliament in Birmingham, not unlike what you're looking at there. Um, so that was the night, the um, New Street side. But then uh, moving uh, further on, by 1936, the old building had become uh, a fire risk. And you mentioned a fire in, in your note, and it said plans were made to move the new site to Edgebaston, where it is now, along with the girls' school. 
mm-hmm. um, which they they by this time in the 1800s they'd introduced the girls uh, schools into the King Edward Foundation, and so along with the the girls school they moved out to Edgbaston where they are now into temporary buildings, and unfortunately it was the temporary buildings that burned down, so <laughs> on that site. <laughs> So, you know, there was, there was, they, they'd left one, one school in, in the centre of Birmingham and the one they'd moved out to had burned down. So they were forced to move again, but only for a short time, directly across the road, minutes walk into the Birmingham University. So they used the main buildings, the Great Hall there, and some of the surrounding buildings. Um, and then, the, yeah, the war was here, came along and some of the school children had to be moved out. But they say that by 1940, enough of the new building that you can see there now had been finished. So they started to move the students into there that were available, you know, that weren't um, being sent to the countryside. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1950s, so they've got the boys' school and the girls' school alongside each other. Uh, so 1950s, they came up with the swimming pool and also they built a chapel. And the lovely thing about it is the chapel is actually one of the corridors from the original um, King Edward School in New Street. So we've got this very, very old chapel on site there that's just so lovely to go into because it is medieval. And then you come into this, you know, sort of 20th century uh, school and surrounded by it. And it, it's just lovely. And today they've got, let me see, they've got, Girls, 560 girls, and 825 boys are educated there. Mm. And they've got all the most fantastic facilities up there. I'd love you to see the size of their playing fields because you <sighs> go up there and it's just, where they're playing cricket, uh, you know, in the summer you can usually see it. And it's just amazing. And it's next door to a very expensive golf course. Mm. <laughs> Which is great, a great place. But what you're showing now, that's the girls' school, which is very appropriate with the roses, I thought. Oh, yeah. Well, we're in Edgbaston now, right? So um, there were two other locations here um, that you actually mentioned to me. I, I didn't know of them. And, um, and you, so you're going to have to really <laughs> tell me a little bit about the history of these um, and, and sort of their authenticity when it comes to Tolkien. So the, the two sites in, in question, and I'll, I'll just advance to that now in the, in the Google flyover, um, they're the Edgbaston Waterworks Tower and Parrot's Folly Tower. Yeah. So yeah, so can you? T- they're they're often referred to as the uh, the two towers in Tolkien's Birmingham. Uh, well, would you yeah. would you like to start at the waterworks? Yeah, waterworks tower would be fine. Now we're looking at the waterworks tower, which is that building there. Um, when the the boys uh, moved to um, to Edgbaston with their mother. Um, it was because the mother had become a Catholic and they she was looking for somewhere uh, that she felt comfortable, you know, to, to live and to worship with the boys. And But when Mabel died, unfortunately, they the boys, they'd already made friends with the parish priest, Father Morgan. Mm-hmm. And they, he became sort of... Um, uh, well, he, he agreed to look after them for as long as it was necessary, but they needed somewhere to live. So they were, uh, went to live with an aunt mm-hmm. in Sterling Road. And if you were to look 
off to the side here is Stirling Road. You know, it's probably where we're standing now, looking up at it. Okay. It would be across here. So they lived on the other end of the street. In fact, number one, the first house that you come into Stirling Road. Uh, but this end of the road, um, they would have seen two towers every day. The boys were great adventurers and they were always looking for things, you know, always um, great interest in everything and a great imagination because they were looking for buildings like this. Now, this is the Birmingham Waterworks Tower. And this was um, built in Victorian times. And it was um, a very much an industrial city. So this parts of the this area would have been built up when Tolkien was living there, mainly because of these waterworks. Mm -hmm. And of course, the canals were coming in because we're not far out of the city centre here. So there would have been canals bringing coal into the area. The boys would have seen almost every minute of every day, they would have seen carts and horses been, uh, bringing in loads of coal to be put into the furnace here. This isn't around 1905, I think, that they, they, they are living with their aunt on, on Sterling Road. Yeah. So that, that would have made Tolkien like 12 years old. Yes, yeah. Yeah, um, so they would have seen this, um, uh, as I say, it's a very industrial city and, and was there. So this, the tall chimney uh, would have been one of many. They would have, the skyline would have been crowded with tall chimney, chimneys belching smoke. But this is a beautiful red Italian at red brick and ornamental cream brick. So this was built in 1862. And it's standing next um, to the boiler house, which is the smaller square building, the engine room and the workshops of the waterworks tower. And this was pumping water day and night uh, to bring water out of the boreholes in the ground to supply the city with water. So uh, that noise would have been going all of the time. If you didn't hear it, you'd feel it. You know, you would never be without knowing that the uh, the pumps were working. Be like living um, near a train station. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah. it would, there would never have been any moment that you would have had that that noise and that sort of underground feeling. Um, so this was one of them. And so, of course, they would have seen this, but they would have seen going along with the, the period being very industrial and a lot of furnaces, a lot of factories and a lot of coal merchants because everything was powered with coal at the time. So the men were delivering all of this and working on it would have probably had black faces. I'm sure as a child, I remember all the, the coal men that delivered coal all had black hands and black faces from the coal dust. Mm -hmm. And they would have seen lots of men with uh, horses and carts and ponies and traps and that sort of thing, or even handcarts all merging around here. And so that would have been a very, very busy place for them. And then just a little bit up the road to the right-hand side from, from where we're, we're standing is the other tower. See, that's the waterworks tower we've just spoken of. Mm -hmm. If we go just up this way, Okay, let's 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 go there. We'll do the flyover here. <laughs> A very slow flyover to the next tower. <laughs> yeah, you see, all this now because it's not uh, work. I mean, we've got better ways of getting water into taps. So all this factory part has been uh, knocked down. But then you see right away here, if we stop, oops, yep. you can see the trees again. Trees everywhere, although it's a housing estate. But this is Parrot's Folly. And it's, um, it was built uh, for a, a man called Perrot, 
and it was um, this we think is the second tower that uh, we think Tolkien might have referred to. So it was built for Henry for, uh, Perrot in 1758, and it's a lovely red brick. Red brick was the main sort of material um, for Birmingham, not only be, it, because we didn't have land that was good for agriculture. We had a, a very, very poor soil. And so when they started producing bricks from it, it was always red. That's why a lot of our house, uh, houses and buildings are this red brick and terracotta, which is, I think, a lovely in, in the right place. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, we know it's always going to be something to do with government or local government if it's going to be red brick or something of you know of importance. But this was, as I say, this was Henry Perrot's, and he had this built next to his hunting lodge, which would have been here. This is now a doctor surgery, mm -hmm. but there would have been a lodge here um, where he he lived part of the time, of course. Um, and it was called a folly. And follies were towers that were built for no apparent reason, <laughs> mainly because you could afford to. I got it. And in fairness to the people who had them built, it was quite often to provide work for local people who hadn't got any work. Ah. So they would design or say, you know, I'll have a tower built there. And it provided work for a group of men they were living locally, you know, put food on the table for a period of time. Mm -hmm. But this was all a, a, an ancient hunting forest. It was owned by the Lords of the Manor that, uh, of Birmingham in the 1400s. So it would have still been a deer park or a hunting park when Perrot um, had it, the tower built. And um, nobody's really sure exactly why he had it built, because they say that it you see, he used to entertain up here, that's six floors up with a spiral staircase. Mm -hmm. But he used to entertain his friends a lot. So the servants had, used to have to carry all the stuff up the spiral staircase. <laughs> and see, so this, is, uh, this is exactly how narrow it is, as you can see. And so they'd have to carry everything in from the ground floor and up this spiral staircase and do all the entertaining there. And of course, while they were there, they could watch and see where the deer were in the park. Oh, true. And the other thing, they think that he might have used it also for his daughter. He had a, a child and she used to go up there and she would be able to see him while he was hunting. So it was, uh, and the other thing is his wife had died. She lived in a village outside Birmingham and they say that you can see the village from the top. But I'm, oh. not, I'm not sure about that. But <laughs> I just want to add. And so Tolkien would have lived, what, between these two towers? He would have lived nearer to where this one is. Well, you see, he lived in different addresses. Oh, the, see. The first address he lived at with his mother and his brother, that's totally gone now under the new housing estate. Okay. And the reason why there was a break in his education is because when his mother um, first went up to the Oratory Church and she met Father Morgan, and um, she felt confident being there and, and she felt that the children were going to be okay. Father Morgan suggested that in order to save her some money, instead of sending um, Tolkien into the city centre uh, to the uh, King Edward's school, he said, we've just founded the oratory or the, uh, the oratory is in its infancy and we're opening a very good school here. If you'd like for Tolk, you know, for Ronald to come and join us in this school. And she was confident that that was the best thing, but she realized soon afterwards that the, 
the level of education wasn't anywhere near what Tolkien had been used to in New Street. So he was sent back and that's why the gap is there. See. Um, and it would also be around about the time when Mabel was ill because she was, um, uh, she had diabetes. And in those days, it was a, an illness that you didn't recover from. Um, so there was a lot going on in the family, but anyway, Education was foremost in Mabel's mind, and so Tolkien was sent back to New Street, which was was probably a good thing. Sure, sure. Well, this is fantastic, and Mary, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Um, I'd like to ask a little bit about you now, and and how you got into you know giving these tours. Other than that, you you said your grandkids is that right? Yeah. Um, sort of tipped you off on Tolkien, but how did you get into? Um, becoming an expert in local history and, and taking people around? Well, I started off, I've always had a, a love of history. Um, I, came, I came to Birmingham when I was 10. And very, very briefly, I was born in Ireland. My father was in the RAF in the war, Second World War. After the war, we all came to Birmingham. I got four brothers and we lived in the countryside. And my, but my father died and then we had to move to the city. So it was that huge change from countryside into an industrial city um, but I did love the buildings and I loved the history I used to read as much as I could and I used to go and find places walk to places and find them and when I got in when I was in a position um, when oh it, when I was in my mid-50s I took early retirement from the company I was with and I thought now my children have grown I'm going to do what I want to do which which was probably a bit daft, but I'd always wanted to do something in history. So I went to the university and I took a local um, local history at the university. And then I thought, I quite like this. And, I, and I've always been interested. You know, when you see people um, doing walking tours and I think, you know, they must know so much. I'd love to do that. Mm -hmm. And I did get the opportunity to train uh, about 20 years ago. And I've never looked back. I've been doing it for 20, 21 years now. I've worked all over the world, taking people on holiday. In fact, I've been to Boston a few times. Ah, yeah. Well, <laughs> next, next time, <laughs> well, next, next time you come, I'll be glad to give you a tour. I only ever knew Banana Republic because that's what <laughs> oh, no. to pull in. <laughs> oh, oh, you could just strike that from your mind. Uh, and then we used to have a guide used to come on board and he'd take us for a coach tour around the city. But, that, but I, yes, I have been to Boston a few times. But then once the grandchildren arrived, I didn't want to miss them walking and talking. And I gave it up and I trained to be a local guide. So now I work in Birmingham and Stratford-on-Avon and Warwick and the Cotswolds and Oxford mainly. So you're um, all, all over there. I mean, what are we talking in terms of distance from all these places? Do you have to, is it like, you know, 30 minutes to drive there um, from, uh, from sort of? Well, the closest would be Warwick and Stratford. I could probably do it in about 40 minutes. Mm. Uh, but Cotswolds, it's anything, depending on where you meet in a group, because, and going down to Oxford, that takes about an hour and a half to get there. But it's, I just love it. It doesn't matter to me if it was 200 miles. I, I just love it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I um, we're we're going to be fortunate enough to to learn from uh, Dr. An Andrew Higgins. Um, he's going to join us to talk um, in uh, about Warwick and um, um, 
in Great Haywood, uh, oh, to, right. to, to other sort of Tolkien-centered uh, areas. Um, they were, both of those were, were places that inspired the Book of Lost Tales and, and some of the places in there. Um, so let's talk more about you. Now, I, um, I, wanna, I wanna list your website here. Your website is birminghamtours.co.uk, is that right? Birminghamtours.co, yes, that's right, yeah. Okay, and um, so we, we know sort of where you give tours, um, but can you tell us a little bit about how it works? Because I, I know from taking a few of these tours myself, um, not all tour companies do it the same. So can you tell us about the process? Yeah, usually um, with something like this, I have to be honest, I, I get more tours from uh, maybe university students that are just graduating over here, American students. And before they go back home, they want to see where Tolkien lived, which is rather nice. Um, so quite often uh, I get a call and say, look, we're touring. We're going from wherever, Leeds University or Manchester. And we're coming down through the Midlands doing Stratford. And we'd love to see where Tolkien lived. Can you take us? Which is perfect because it's easier if the people have got a vehicle um, because we can do the uh, the tour around. It doesn't take so long to get from Sareholm Mill up to Edgbaston. It doesn't take hours, it's only seven miles, but it, it does help if it's just in one vehicle. Um, and then the others, it's usually university groups, they have a minibus and uh, that sort of thing. You know, so it would be mainly in, in, the, um, in the client's uh, vehicle. And we could do the Mosley Bog and Sareholm Mill and Edgbaston as well. Now, do you get out and go for walks around there with oh, them? Yeah, yeah. What we do is we park up at um, Sareholm Mill and then uh, usually have a kind word with the rangers who are in Sareholm Mill. Can we come in and have a look at the workings of the mill um, because we're doing a tour? And I always add their foreign visitors, you know, they're going to do a bit of advertising. So we do that and we walk across the fields and then we walk over to um, the house where the boys lived and then through Mosley Bog. And of course, everybody, um, I tell them in advance, please have shoes that you don't mind taking, you know, if you're not taking home, because if you slip and you go into um, the mud, then it's, um, yeah. it can be a bit, uh, a bit gruesome. But yes, it's, and it's all in the open air. That's, that's the other thing. It's all in the open air. Um, the only place we can sometimes go in is if when we get up to Edgbaston, if the oratory church is open and uh, the clients want to go in and have a look at the church where the uh, the Tolkien boys, um, because they would have been altar boys, so I think they would have served mass in the, uh, the oratory as well. Hmm. And they were associated with it, obviously, because of Father Morgan. But the, the priests, they love to see visitors because they launch into their side of you know, the education of Tolkien and the church as well, which is rather nice. A beautiful church. Well, Mary, one of these days, I'll be there. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make this trip um, and, and, and we will do this tour together. Absolutely. Uh, well, is there anything else you want to leave us with? Um, any other little bits of uh, history or personal information? Um, well, before I go into that, it, um, we've given um, out the, um, my website. Can I just say that um, the website I'm having problems with, 
don't please don't use contact me there's a box on the front of it that says contact me that doesn't work just use the e uh, the email address which is great or the it's, telephone number yeah it's and it's really easy to see it's right at the top of the website right. yeah that's yeah. lovely great yeah, it's it's just lovely to uh, i mean from my side i'm i'm interested in uh, talking the boy and talking you know the man and it's just lovely that we've got so much to show in you know a small area really uh, it's it's so rich. It's like living in Boston. I mean, there's so much to see here. Um, it's, when I first moved here, I, I felt the same way. I'm sure that you did when you moved there. So <laughs> I know that all my clients used to heckle the tour guide chat. The British are coming. The British are coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we hold no grudges. <laughs> well, Mary, thank you again. Um, and. Uh, and uh, I, I want to encourage everybody to, to, to go to birminghamtours.co.uk and contact Mary Moore for a Tolkien tour of Birmingham or anywhere in the West Midlands. So thank you, Mary. Thank you very much. It's been lovely. Though this marks the end of the episode, the road goes ever on. Until next time, join us at longwinded.one and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose.